I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? I know. Welcome to the broadcast, folks. This is Michael Patton, and this is Theology Unplugged. Uh, we are here today with uh, Sam Storms and Tim Kimberly, so we're back to our new slash uh, regular cast. I don't know if this is the regular cast, but uh, we're sure happy to have uh, Sam join us the last few times. Last time you weren't with us, we talked. What do we talk about? We talked about Sam, right? It was, it was so profound, neither of us can remember. It was an episode just on Sam. It, actually, it was, well, <laughs> it was an ab- episode on absence. Maybe his absence made us that's think right, about it, right. but it was more on, on the absence of God. The silence of God, that's right. And we promised that uh, Sam would be back this week, so here he is. He should be with us this week and possibly next week. Possibly so. Somebody needs to be here to speak on behalf of God for you guys. Yeah, like that is for sure. We are, we are here to just sit and listen to Sam. Sam is the pastor up at uh, Bridgeway in Oklahoma City. He has been there now for a couple of years, and uh, we are happy to have him up here at the Credo House. We are coming to you live from the Credo House in Edmond, Oklahoma. Kind of uh, Edmond, Oklahoma. we got an Edmond, Oklahoma mailing address, but an Oklahoma City physical address, mm-hmm. or the other way around. Something like we that. We really don't know where we are. We're no, in some just, vortex. Just right on the border there. So uh, those of you who have not made it out to the Credo House, I suggest you come out here and check it out, take a tour, get a Luther latte. And we got a Spurgeon. What's the, it called? The Spurgeon. It's just the Spurgeon. The Spurgeon. And it is it is amazing. It is? What is I it? I must say it's my creation, so that's why it's so great. What is so, it? It's, it's mainly a, an English toffee latte with a little bit of chocolate on top. Um, and we just think Spurgeon. English toffee. Huh? English toffee, nice, yeah. So, nice. so it, was, it had to either be the Lewis after C.S. Lewis or the Spurgeon. Well, no, because, but he would be Ireland. Well, yeah, I get, yeah, that's very true. Did Spurgeon drink coffee? Well, what we were thinking about is, is infusing it with cigars ah, because he was an avid cigar yes, smoker. But then we thought that would just be terrible. So, Anyway, and we thought about, well, yeah. we could bring cigars in, but then it's just going to smell like cigars the whole time. Well, maybe the you just time, dip so. the cigar in the, in the coffee. Don't you do that with cigars? Dip it in something? You would know. <laughs> you dip it in cognac, right? Yeah. Well, all that sounds terrible, but the Spurgeon is actually really good. So if you come to the Credo House, we'd love to serve you one. Well, good on chance. our new espresso Good machine. chance to come to the Credo House would be uh, this month, July 31st, we have Theology Boot Camp. That's that right. is a Saturday. So if you're coming, if you're traveling, we've got a few people already traveling in from out of town. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to come here and have an all-day event, you could come to the boot camp, have lunch, then um, at, uh, finish the boot camp, and then afterwards take a tour of the Credo House. So that would yeah, be a good time. We'd love to have you here, and we're really excited about the boot camp. It's going to be a great time. All right. Well, check that out on our website, credohouse.org, or just go to our, uh, what, the main site? www.reclaimthemind.org Or you can go to theologybootcamp.com Theologybootcamp.com, that's right That's that's the better place to go Well listen folks, we are going to be talking for the next couple of weeks Maybe few weeks about something that um, I think is uh, very interesting Yet confusing to me So I'm excited to have Sam in here to talk about it a little bit And uh, fill in some of the historical gaps And to give us his opinion on some of the things about evangelicalism now we have, uh, I, I think I have a blog section on evangelicalism that probably has 30 or 40 posts on it just from trying to figure out 
you know, who, who is, what is, and, and where is evangelicalism today? Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, writings out there about the future of evangelicalism, the decline of evangelicalism. I mean, it's it's gone on for quite some time. I remember back in 95, there was the book published, The Coming Evangelical Crisis, and I think that was by Armstrong and Sproul and MacArthur and bunch of guys came together, and I don't remember what the predictions were or, or whether those predictions have come to pass. I, I don't think they were really predictions, but they were, you know, mm. just a current state of evangelicalism. And back in the 90s, evangelicalism did not look too good. Well, and the scandal of the evangelical mind came out in the 90s as well. Yeah, it did. It came out about 95 or 96 as well, mm-hmm. uh, Mark Knoll. Which, uh, which kind of, uh, made a lot of evangelicals scratch our heads and say, well, who are we? What are we? Mm. Who what should a- we be? And I think that if you took the poll out there in general in America today, the most of the polls that I see is that there are a lot of Americans who claim to be evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot more than you would expect. Sometimes upper into the 50%. Uh, 30 to 50% is what I usually see that would claim to be evangelicals. Now, I wonder what if we go out there and ask, those people, what does it mean to be an evangelical? What do mm-hmm. you mean by evangelical? Mm-hmm. Uh, what they would they say? I I claim to be an evangelical. Whenever we talk about our ministry, I say it's an evangelical ministry, and I try to distinguish it by using the term evangelical, uh, just so people. And now it's becoming fewer and fewer people who understand what I mean whenever I distinguish it as such. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting a lot of wrong ideas about what it means to be an evangelical. But I, I want to ask you guys, just to start off with, whenever you use the term generally, what do you mean by evangelical? And do you claim to be an evangelical? That is a, it's a great question. Uh, the word itself is so slippery and it's used in so many different ways. Um, I think for some people it's become a way of differentiating between two extremes on either side. Uh, people say, I'm an evangelical, which basically means I'm not a liberal, I'm not a fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that, that, that middle ground, so to speak, is uh, very broad and very diverse. But I think, um, given all the definitions that have been supplied uh, by scholars uh, for what an evangelical is or what evangelicalism is, I think it comes back to the root word evangel, uh, which obviously refers to the gospel, the good news. And uh, evangelicalism at its core can be neither more nor less than uh, those who embrace the biblical gospel, for whom the gospel is the central focus and out of which everything else in Christian life and ministry flows. So that throws us back into defining what is the evangel, what is the gospel. Um, Because in the absence of a biblical gospel, I don't see how anybody can legitimately call themselves an evangelical. Uh, unless they just want to do that, as I said, to differentiate themselves from liberalism or fundamentalism. Mm, well, what, what would be the distinguishing characteristic then that you would say, uh, as far as an evangelical, distinguishing it from fundamentalism and liberalism, what is the de- distinguishing characteristic? You've got the gospel. What is the distinguishing characteristic from fundamentalism then, say? Because fundamentalists would say, well, we care about the gospel as well. Sure, sure. Uh, when you differentiate fundamentalism from evangelicalism, you almost have to do it historically. Um, because I doubt, seriously, if uh, most Christians today would be aware of the uh, developments over the last 100 to 125 years. Uh, fundamentalism essentially emerged as a response, and I think a very necessary one, 
to the inroads of modernism and liberalism that came out of the late 19th century and early 20th century, in which um, uh, the basics of the faith were being jettisoned. I mean, the deity of Christ was being uh, set aside, uh, denial of his miracles, uh, the authority of Scripture was being undermined, inerrancy was, um, and inf- even the infallibility of Scripture was being rejected. Um, um, most of the, many of the basic truths, the virgin conception of Christ, for example, these things were being uh, set aside. And uh, fundamentalism was in large measure a response uh, in the, at that time we might say, the conservative Orthodox Christian world to the inroads of, of kind of mainstream theological liberalism. But the problem was is that it wasn't just a theological response. It was almost also a sociological and cultural uh, response because fundamentalism uh, began to develop institutionally. They created their own schools. Um, they began to withdraw from interaction with the broader intellectual community. Fundamentalists were um, uh, not inclined to read books that liberals had written or engage with them. Uh, they became very isolationist, um, very defense, defensive. It was kind of this, uh, let's circle the wagons, uh, let's uh, defend the faith and wait for the rapture. And it, there wasn't a lot of engagement social, socially or culturally or intellectually on the part of fundamentalists. And they became very defensive, sometimes very angry, um, separatistic, uh, to the point where if you don't agree with me on all the fundamentals of the faith, I will separate from you. I'll have no fellowship with you. And not only that, but um, I will separate from those who, won't, who themselves won't separate from you. And so fundamentalism became as much a sociological uh, phenomenon as it was theological. Hmm. Um, and really it wasn't until, what, post-World War II era, uh, middle of the 20th century, people like uh, Akengay, Carl Henry, and others who said, um, we embrace most of the same fundamental beliefs as the fundamentalists, but we don't want to be um, socially withdrawn. We don't want to be culturally ineffective. We want to engage with the broader intellectual community. Uh, we want to make a difference politically. We want to have a voice in all arenas of life. Uh, we don't want to be perceived as um, these uh, th- these uh, angry uh, Christians who withdraw and simply um, uh, denounce those who disagree with us. And so that was really, historically speaking, something of the birth of what was uh, has now come to be known as evangelicalism. It was it was basically people who agreed. Uh, with the fundamentalists theologically. I mean, you talk, you're talking about uh, the early evangelicals. They say, well, of course we believe in the virgin conception of Christ. Of course we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, deity of Christ, second coming, justification by faith alone through grace alone. Um, they, they affirmed all of those basic truths, but they, were, they took very seriously the call to be more embedded in communities, engaged in social and political uh, issues. Uh, they became very vocal in expressing how the Bible bears upon um, upon these many issues. So they were not the withdrawn, isolationist, separatistic, angry uh, uh, community of faith, but uh, wanted to be um, 
engaged in the mainstream of dialogue uh, in the religious life, uh, not only the West, but I think more globally as well. And, uh, and Sam, you're dating this to post-World War II? Really, mainly? the post-World War II era. Okay. Uh, some people actually um, see the birth of evangelicalism uh, somewhat uh, identified with the uh, 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 founding of Fuller Theological Seminary. Although mm-hmm. Fuller, some would say, and this, we could talk about this later, some would say has drifted out of the mainstream of, the, of evangelicalism and uh, would not even necessarily be identified with it. Now, that's a point of some mm-hmm. argument and debate. But yeah, kind of the mm-hmm. post-World War II um, uh, in which these men, I said Harold John Ockengay, Edward J. Carnell, Carl Henry, Billy Graham, um, they, in essence, said, um, we don't want to abandon our social responsibilities. We, we want the evangelical world to have a social consciousness. Um, the fear that the fundamentalists had was that if you ever talked about that, that just was an indication you were on the slippery slope into embracing the social gospel. Mm-hmm. And um, that was something that these men insisted was not the case at all. So evangelicalism... As a movement per se, if even we want to use that term, began to emerge mid twentieth century. Tim, mm-hmm. whenever one of you hear the word evangelical, one of you say it, what comes to your mind? Do you do you call yourself an evangelical? One, if you do, what do you mean by that? Well, I do. I mean, thank you, Sam. I I do, but I also. I mean, we all know that labels can be so hard to use because whenever and I mean, you see that in many ways. How even names of churches, a lot of people change the name just because not so much they don't like the label, but that the label can be so mis- misunderstood. No, a, a big and, Baptist church uh, here, right close to us, has just taken away the name Baptist from it, even though they remain Baptist because they don't want to. Yeah, you know, they're, and the they're probably not ashamed in. Way of being Baptist, but one thing that they want to do is not have people walk in their door with all these preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. Instead, they want to be able to make their own first mm-hmm. impression of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think when I when I say evangelical as well, uh, I'd say in line with what Sam said, but. Uh, I think it can be so difficult and the lines can be so blurry because most fundamentalists would probably, today, I would say most people who are in a church that may be known or a seminary that may be known as as maybe having fundamentalist uh, background or leaders or stuff like that, uh, my guess is many of those people, if you ask them, are you evangelical, they're probably going to say yes. Uh, I don't know if you would affirm that as well. Uh, no, I, I think they would. And so, so exactly what makes... An evangelical, an evangelical, I think, is a difficult thing. I mean, yes, I do use that use that word, but I'm always scared when I use it. What did that person just think when I say the word evangelical? I mean, I think most people would think that means you're not Roman Catholic at its essence, perhaps, even though I wonder if people in Roman Catholic churches can be evangelical mm-hmm. as well. And so I just think it's messy. And so I'd, I'd rather just tell them what I believe and not use the term. But but I think approaching that term is helpful. And I do like Sam's of this this middle ground between a fundamentalism and liberalism but i also just i think it's messy because everybody is claiming to uphold the gospel so you can't say well we just cling to the gospel uh, but what i would say is it's it's definitely you are focusing on the gospel so you're focusing on people who must put their trust in christ and who must be born again 
So not based on baptism, someone who says, well, I was baptized when I was an infant, I'm a believer. So an evangelical will say, you must be born again, you must believe as an adult. And so I would say that that would be a hallmark of, of why I'd use evangelical with that you are you are definitely have a focus on uh, evangelism or on the good news the evangel yeah the uh, just to follow up on that um, those there have been many uh, authors who've tried to identify what are the core beliefs and um, bebbington yeah uh, david bebbington probably is the most famous in that regard but just what tim mentioned uh, typically the evangelical world would embrace um, a high view of Scripture. There would be a, what they would call a, a biblicism or a biblicist uh, perspective that 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 embraces Scripture as the the uh, norming norm for the church. It is our final authority. The whole concept of of he would also refer to conversionism. This emphasis on the mm-hmm. new birth that there must be a radical transformation of life that leads to faith in Christ. That there would be a, a, a focus upon the cross. They talk which about the new birth has a real personal aspect As, to it. That's going to be distinguishing yeah. it yeah. from some other traditions, which are more first community, mm. maybe personal later. Right. So built into that, to evangelical is a, is a focus on the individual, maybe over the community, even though community would be an important aspect of the of the. Well, that's the been believer. one of the criticisms yeah. from the those on the outside. They say that evangelicals are high, much too individualistic, and they don't have a, a great enough appreciation for the corporate dimensions and the communal dimensions of the Christian life. Then also, they would be it would be cross centered. You know, the focus upon the the finality of the person work of Jesus, um, sinless life, substitutionary death, uh, bodily resurrection. Uh, second coming, and then um, they would also talk about what they would say activism, and what they mm. mean by that primarily is evangelism, being mm. actively engaged in spreading the evangel. Um, I would think that Christians or churches that are uh, somewhat silent and passive and don't really have a sense for uh, global mission or taking the gospel to the nations of the earth would would be hard pressed to identify themselves as evangelical. So those are some of the basics. The problem, though, and we can get into this later if you want to, you take those dimensions I just mentioned, and there is a vast, vast number of professing believers who would fit into that, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that those parameters mm-hmm. who differ on so many other issues that you wonder, can we really call these people of the same family? I mean, yeah. think of the vast divergencies within the charismatic world. Mm-hmm. Word of faith, health and wealth gospel, um, who have some significantly aberrant views and practices, but all of whom would affirm everything I just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, Just as you said, Tim, there are, and this may catch some of your listeners by surprise, there are professing Roman Catholics who would affirm the very things that I just said as well, and yet would be faithful within the Church of Rome? Would would they be evangelical? Mm-hmm. Uh, mainstream denominational people as well. So there's such a vast uh, uh, diversity within the under the umbrella of evangelicalism that, as you said, you begin to wonder: Is this term even useful anymore? Mm-hmm. Well, and look at the evangelical theological society. You know what? What do you must? You must hold to to be a part of ETS, and I believe it's just one thing. Two things now. Oh, two things now, which are inerrancy and trinitarianism. Okay, which is 
way less than what you just mentioned. Exactly. So you could be a charter member of the Evangelical Evangelical Theological Society, and many of those things that you mentioned aren't necessarily priority. That's that's true. That's true. So, but so you would, is the term even useful anymore? Has it become so uh, watered down, and have we uh, killed it with the uh, with so many qualifications that? it isn't very meaningful any longer in our dialogue. Well, I think whenever we look at it historically, as, as Sam has run down, I think that we can redeem some of it. I mean, it comes down to knowing our history. and comes down to knowing where we're from, what we're about, what we're originally about. But I think our knowledge of our past goes, you know, so it's so shallow that really nobody understand, under understands or identifies with the mood of evangelicalism. Now, evangelicalism, I would never say myself, has a beginning, let's say, in the 1920s or in the late 19th century. I would say it is a carry-on, uh, it is a, a continuation of a mood which we hope has gone before us. Yes. That began in the Reformation, or not began in the Reformation, but goes through the Reformation and goes through all the way back to the, the, uh, original proclamation of the gospel to where the, the, uh, the main things of the gospel are the things that we promote, that we, that we, uh, carry on a banner, and those are the things that we unite around, and those are the things that we proclaim. I, I think that whenever we lose sight of our history to such a degree that it's really easy for to ha- for us to have these kind of different different uh, groups out there all claiming to be evangelical, even though. Well, so are not. you equating Orthodox Christianity with evangelicalism? Well, certainly I would. I would say that evangelicalism must have ties to its own heritage and history, especially theologically. And you begin to lose the, too many of those ties, and then you're mm. able to, you know, allow anything in. And so, would you call uh, Calvin and Luther evangelicals? Yes, talk talk carefully. That. We're both uh, have church history backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, would, I would very much say that. As a matter of fact, uh, the Lutherans were the ones who were first called evangelicals. Mm. I think the Reformation was built upon the first the first steps of the evangelical movement as we see it today. But it's still a carry carry on of the gospel. It's a it's a restoration. The Reformation is not a discovery of the gospel. It's a restoration of the gospel. And evangelicalism, I think, is a is a modern expression, a modern expression that attempts to continue to to be excited about the gospel, to be to be those who feel like we still need to proclaim the gospel, that we need to move forward, that we need to uh, reach the unreached people with the gospel. So, in other words. The word evangelical is one that we might legitimately use throughout the course of church history to identify certain movements or individuals. But evangelicalism, mm. as it is used now, is more distinctly something that's emerged within the last uh, 75 to 100 years. Yeah, and, and it's begun to pick up baggage. I mean, it's sure. whenever you begin mm-hmm. to pick up this baggage that you, it, that's whenever fundamentalism lost. I mean, we, we lost, uh, uh, 1920s, I would have probably called myself a fundamentalist, I'm mm-hmm. sure. But baggage begins to be picked up. It, it, it builds walls around itself to protect itself. And society automatically, you know, tags 
post-it notes to what it is that it sees that it is, and then you become identified with that, and then you have to kind of remake yourself a little bit. And I'm not sure if we're not going through a time that we have to remake ourselves, and that's probably some of the 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 modern movements that you have right now with you know we're kind of passing beyond the emerging movement but i think that that was because evangelicalism had failed to identify itself any longer mm-hmm. yeah and the, just just because you mentioned that people often ask about the emerging church movement and they say what is it and i say at its core it's simply an angry reaction to fundamentalism mm-hmm. and to the isolationist judgmental uh narrow-minded and some of the uh more legalistic lifestyles that we see manifest in American fundamentalism. If you want to know what the emerging church is, just envision going to the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, let the pendulum swing mm-hmm. uh, from from fundamentalism, American fundamentalism, and you end up in the emerging church. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, before we end this broadcast, there's a couple of things that I want to ask each one of you, and then we'll uh, next broadcast get a little bit more into the history because I want to. I want to talk uh, uh, where the modern evangelical movement exactly came from and talk about some of the stuff that went on with Billy Graham and and how that may have been a catalyst to our popularizing evangelicalism. But both of you, what do you see as the biggest strength of evangelicalism and what do you see as the biggest weakness? I would say I'll let Sam save the best for last. Um, I would say the biggest that, that strength. That would be me. He'll be second. Then all. Well, I'm still I'm still wrestling with your John Calvinism. John Calvin was an evangelical, so so I know you've lost a couple points in my book right now, but you might gain them back. Um, I'd say the biggest strength is the gospel. Uh, I mean, the gospel is clear. In uh, I I would say in the in the good uh, vein of evangelical when when evangelicalism is is running healthy full cylinder the the greatest strength is the gospel the gospel is clear the gospel is is big god is big uh, and we are called each personally to respond uh, god has no grandchildren in evangelicalism uh, they all must come to him uh, by faith through grace um I say that right uh, so the gospel is the, is what i would say is the strength I think the biggest weakness is that evangelicalism, I believe, has no ecclesiology, uh, meaning that, that I, and that's not new with me, I've, I've heard other people say that too, is just this idea of what is the church, uh, who is the church to be, how is the church to operate. Um, I think that evangelicals have, have mainly wiped the, the, the canvas clean, and, and each church has said, how do we do this thing, uh, and, and have just run with it. Um, which can be good, but in many ways uh, there are no boundaries, and let's just go and see see where we end up. And so, I would say the greatest weakness is is a lack of an overarching. This is what the church is. This is how we operate. That's very good. In fact, it's interesting uh, you bring that up because when you look at the, we talked a moment ago about Bevington's uh, definition um, and what are the fun the, the kind of the essential characteristics of evangelicalism and there is no ecclesiology in his mm-hmm. list there's no reference to the church whatsoever which is a deficiency and, and again largely let's be honest that is because uh, the evangelical mind which has been so closely associated with protestantism 
has been largely a reaction to Roman Catholicism, the late mm-hmm. medieval period, and uh, the high, high ecclesiology mm-hmm. uh, of the Roman Catholic Church. But getting back to your question, I would agree, first of all, with Tim. I think the, the greatest strength of evangelicals individually and evangelicalism as kind of a, um, an attitude or a movement, however you want, because it's not a denomination. You know, mm-hmm. People say, oh, can I join? <laughs> <laughs> Where do I sign up? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of out there. Well, yeah. there's like the evangelical free and stuff, sure. but, but those are, those are subsets right, of the right. entire. Um, but I agree, the, the, the single strongest element is the evangel and, uh, is the understanding of the centrality of the gospel, which entails who is Jesus Christ and what has he accomplished and what is our response to him, uh, in terms of faith and repentance and, and, and so on. But oddly and ironically, I think, although I agree with Tim that ecclesiology is a major, uh, area of, of, uh, that is a problem within evangelicalism. Ironically, I think the gospel is also evangelicalism's greatest weakness. And what I mean by mm-hmm. that is, although the evangel is at the core of what it is to be evangelical, the fact of the matter is, vast numbers of people who call themselves evangelicals have no idea what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. Or they have soft-pedaled it, they have glossed over, they have... Um, I hate to say it, but in many cases entirely abandoned it uh, for the sake of some ministry goal or some desire to um, uh, to have a presence in a community that they fear the gospel might threaten. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, and again, maybe this is something we can talk about in the next uh, uh, program. On the one hand, you have the s- centrality of the gospel, the evangel, and yet on the other hand, you have so many going by the name evangelical who couldn't define the gospel mm-hmm. if they if their life depended on it mm-hmm. they they would uh, explain it in terms of well it it's uh, you know go into all the world and smile or um, <laughs> or feed know, people or yeah or or feed the hungry which is obviously a very important thing to do or some other social expression of the life of of the body of Christ so it grieves me that on the one hand the evangel um, it, it, it pleases me on the one hand that the evangel is so central to in the minds of evangelicals, and yet on the other hand that it is so absent in, in many who go by that name, and mm-hmm. I think it creates incredible confusion. Um, and uh, so it's it's kind of an ironic thing that the same reality would be with its greatest strength, but also its greatest weakness. Well, it is. That's and, great. And I think you're right. I think uh, the majority of the, Evangelicals out there just have no clue what the gospel is. But I would agree that the greatest strength would be the gospel. I would go, you know, a little bit focus in on that and say, I think the, within that, the greatest strength again has to do with this idea that there is a responsibility placed upon the individual that I don't mm-hmm. see very often in other places. Right. And, you know, there is mm-hmm. this call. There is this, this, uh, a call to turn in your beliefs, turn personally towards Christ. And whether we use terms which, you know, a lot of people have problems with, you know, asking Jesus into your heart or, you know, a lot of the things we have, uh, ways to express that doesn't bother me quite so much as it does some people. But my point is, is that greatest strength, there is this call for you 
individually, mm-hmm. what are you going to do with Christ? Yeah. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? Not only does your church say that he is, but who do you say that he is? And that is something that I think carries on in evangelicalism. Well, greatest weakness, I would say, would be our ties to history. And I think it comes back, ecclesiology there, and I think it would come back, too, to the purity of the gospel. Because I think we are just kind of dangling out there so often that these churches that don't know what the gospel is, one of the reasons why they don't know what the gospel is because they're not tied to anything. They're, you know, the, it, it's it's a daily Bible study maybe that they have where where their leader, uh, you know, uh, maybe open the Bible for the first time and saying, well, they've asked me to lead today, so I guess I'm going to do this and, and and we'll see what happens. And you know, what's your idea on what this verse means? Oh, that's very good. What's your idea on what this verse means? Oh, that's very good. There's no idea that. We are carrying something that has been carried for 2,000 years, mm-hmm. and there's no idea of the history of the church that goes beyond the history of their local building campaign uh, so often. Mm-hmm. And I think our weakness has to do, not just because I want people to know the theologians, not just because I want people to get back into the Reformation understand what it hap- what happened, but because I want them to see that we are a part of a church that, is been, that has carried the gospel for 2,000 years, and we have a legacy in such. And that is part of the privilege of being a Christian, is being part of this legacy of the gospel, and it's part of the accountability. You take that away, you cut ties with church history, and there ain't, there isn't any accountability. I mean, who are you accountable to? Well, you have no roots, and without roots, that tree's going to fall over, or the wind's going to blow it away. Yeah, which uh, is precisely the the argument that that our Roman Catholic friends make <laughs> uh, that uh, you Protestants uh, are splintered, fractured. Uh, you evangelicals. Uh, go by uh, countless thousands of different names. What are there, more than 31,000 denominations Mm -hmm. existent today? At least we have uh, the magisterium, the central office of the, 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 the authority of the pope to which we can eventually run for cover, as it were. Uh, now, again, I think there are multiple problems with the Roman mm-hmm. Catholic mm-hmm. claim in that regard, mm-hmm. but certainly... Um, you can see uh, where they're coming from. I can understand where they're coming from. Bradley Nassif, who is an Eastern Orthodox theologian, who uh, I, I respect, respect a great deal. We interviewed him one time, and he is uh, I, he, he would be somebody that um, that is kind of odd that would be one of those that would seem to be an evangelical Eastern Orthodox you know, mm-hmm. even in the essential beliefs that he has, they mm-hmm. really mold well. But I asked him one time, what is the biggest um, problem with evangelicalism, in his opinion? And he says that we have historical amnesia. So, mm-hmm. um, we're going to carry this on next week. We have run out of time, folks. And uh, we'll, we'll pick this right back up where we left off. Thank you all for joining us. And um, I, I don't know if we have anything that we need to close with. Did I forget anything at the beginning? I don't think so. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next week. God bless y'all. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.